After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. I'm so pleased to share this special conversation about the legacy of the jeweler Munu and my dear friends that are now leading the Gem Palace into the future. Sadat Kozlawal is Munu's son and the creative director, and Jana Pascal is the president. I love learning more about its history in Jaipur, the artisans that carry on its tradition, and how Sid and Jana continue to keep the legacy alive. When was the last time we saw each other in person? Was it in Charlotte? It was in Charlotte. Because I think one of the things that I've loved, um, I loved seeing was your, some anniversary pics recently, Jana, of your wedding. And that was one of the most incredible times of any of our lives, I think. <laughs> You're the most fun people to be with, no matter where we are, always. I mean, I think that, that you just have that spirit about you. And I want to hear more about kind of where that comes from. Jana, where, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Mexico City. I grew up in Mexico with a family from all over the place. My mother's family is originally from Texas. So I think that, you know, I have a little bit of Texas in me, which is a lot of fun. I think you have a lot of Texas in um, me. <laughs> um, my mother moved to Mexico when she was about eight or nine years old. So my mother grew up in Mexico. And I have a lot of Mexico in me, which I think, you know, Mexico always brings fun. Yeah. I was very lucky to grow up between those two places and to travel a lot. And I think that I'm lucky to have friends everywhere in the world, including Charlotte. <laughs> I think Charlotte also always brings the fun. <laughs> when when y'all come, it definitely does. What, Jana, what's your first fashion memory? I know you have some really good ones because you have very you have very fashionable people in your family. My grandmother had a beauty salon basically in her closet <laughs> and just watching her get dressed for parties and we always used to get to go at least to the beginning of them and it was always you know gowns and turbans and jewelry and just you know it was the 80s so it was very glamorous all the time you and know dressing for lunch and jewelry for lunch and just a lot of shiny and, and tell, you tell a little things. bit about Belita. She, she's an incredible person. She lives in Texas now. Belita grew up in, in San Antonio and she moved to Mexico with her second husband and always did many, many incredible things. You know, she built a children's hospital. She would visit the Indians. She was very influenced by all the countries that she went to. She flew her own plane. She, you know, became a pilot. And she, she was the first person I ever saw that took very ethnic clothes and made it her own. Mm. So she would wear huipiles and she would wear, you know, with her gowns or she would travel to Morocco and come back with turbans or she would go to India and just you know, she really made all those clothes seem like her own, which I always found fascinating. She is a big collector of jewelry. Is there a piece that um, you particularly love or that stands out? She pierced her ears when she was 70 for a pair of <laughs> earrings that Munu made her. <laughs> so 
So I, I love those earrings. I mean, she has many, many really incredible pieces of jewelry. You know, she has Queen Victoria's Jubilee necklace and, you know, she collected historical jewelry, but she, she loved, you know, she always wore these Moroccan bangles from the market also. And she, you know, she loved, she loved everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a pleasure to watch the way she collected things. She's definitely the most glamorous person I've ever met in real life. <laughs> and, Me too. And, and, um, and we'll talk about this a little later, but I know that the reason that you and Sadat know each other is Belita, correct? That's yeah. correct. And, and Sadat, where are you from? Born and brought up in Jaipur, popularly <laughs> known as the Pink City, which um, I believe also happens to be one of your favorite cities to visit in India. It absolutely and, is. And fun memories. So yes, when we go back in the history, Pasliwal family name is as synonymous to Jaipur as old as the history of the city because we were the first settlers in town. And will you talk a little bit about what Jaipur, where it is and, and why it's significant, especially in, in craftsmanship and, and art? Well, Jaipur has this remarkable history because this city was built as a center of excellence in art and crafts. And it's in the northwest part of India in a, in a majestic state called Rajasthan, which was Rajasthan actually stands for the land of royals. Mm. So that's where all the Maharajas, uh, they lived and Jaipur be became to be the capital of this place. And uh, this city was founded in 1727 by uh, the late ruler Sawai Jai Singh. So the city was based on his name. Uh, Jaipur means Jai City. Ah. And it was it was founded in 1727. Which, by the way, is one of uh, one of the very new cities in India. Right. When you compare it to <laughs> exactly. Varanasi and other places, so so Jaipur is was planned in a very in an amazing manner. It had a great system. What you see in Manhattan, it was already practiced in Jaipur. There were this all the art, uh, you know, all the craftsmen and the best uh, doctors. Uh, archaeologists, everybody was invited. On the invitation, they, they all moved from as far as Calcutta, Hyderabad, Bombay, Kashmir. They all came down to Jaipur with their own talent in their own field. And based on that, we were invited by the Jaipur royal family and my forefathers who lived in Agra with Ajmalis, moved on the invitation of the Maharaja into the newly found city Jaipur inside the city palace walls. To make jewelry for the royal family. Yes. And the, I think the other thing that I know about Jaipur is it's, is it the last place that they're still hand cutting stones and still doing all the ancient techniques that nobody else in the world does anymore? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the last place, but it is one of the very few places, mm -hmm. but definitely the last place where centuries old techniques are still done and we don't use any sort of a modern machinery and everything is done by hand yeah. as it was done many centuries ago. So that's 
really a beautiful and unique characteristic about the city. And the craftsmanship with the people who make the jewelry, but also in your family, I think that the it, it's it's passed on from generation to generation. It's not something you go to school for. It's within your family. Yes. And so in, in your family, do you remember your grandfather? Yeah, and- I do. <laughs> I was I was only nine or ten when unfortunately passed away, but I have the fondest memories of my grandfather, and uh, like everybody liked to think, but I was his favorite grandchild, <laughs> and he would that. he would yeah he would always take me to Gem Palace uh, as little as when I was three or four, and um, you know I would I would hang around with him while there are these tumble huge stones of emerald sapphires being uh, traded around on the white scattered mattresses. My grandfather would keep me busy. My father would be overlooking. So from the very young age, I, you know, it was pretty much in our blood. It was embodied that you were going to be a jeweler. Yeah. Because that's how the, the training happened. And my grandfather used to take me around as much as he could. And he all really wanted me to spend time with him, uh, you know, on a Sunday. So we would even go to Gem Palace on a Sunday. And I was just fascinated like any other child would be with all these sparkly objects. <laughs> and you're, you're just juggling around rubies and sapphires. So I've been that there. was a rare childhood. <laughs> yeah, a very rare childhood. I would say. And your grandfather was, what do you remember him wearing? Did he wear jewelry? No, he didn't. No. But uh, he wore very, uh, you know, smart Indian, what we call the safari suits, which are, uh, so he was always dressed in crisp uh, safari suits, sometimes beige, sometimes gray. And he had this amazing linen jackets. And there was this whole thing about him with his thick glasses and always prim and proper with his uh, hair, you know, impeccable hair. I remember <laughs> that growing up. Well, and, and I also know your father. I think he had great style. And what, one thing I remember, which you wear too, are the beautiful gilets, the vest with yeah. with the beautiful stone links. I got cuff links. Yeah. Or, what, do you have them in? So, so <laughs> yes, I have them on. So, so they're called bundies. Bundies. And yes, my father really was a pioneer in setting this style again because you know when he started wearing this and made it a fashion again. By this time, most of the other people. In the jewelry world, the other jewelers and everyone was trying to wear custom fit Italian suits. That was the time. But right. my father was so proud of his uh, heritage and culture in India that he always wore his beautiful vest with his white linen long kurta, which is the long mm-hmm. uh, shirt he used to wear with his Indian shoes. Yeah. So he really set an example and then he, he wore that all in 90s where everybody was going for Italian and French suits. And then, you know, I, I, I would say my father was a couple of, I would say a decade ahead of the fashion. Yes. And then it followed. Well, your father was an extremely special person. I mean, a, a genius beyond what many will see in their lifetime. And I, I want to talk about Manu a little bit. And so it, it's how you both met. Am I correct? Jana, you were Manu's assistant. 
I was. And you met I was. through I Belita? Through Belita. Belita and Munu met at a wedding. <laughs> and Munu came to New York and was getting ready to show his first collection at the Metropolitan Museum. And my grandmother called me up and said, I have a very nice Indian friend in town that doesn't know how to do very much. <laughs> and could you please help him? And I was in New York for the summer. And I said, sure, as you do when your grandmother asks you for a favor. <laughs> and Munu was about, you know, he was doing a, a collection for the Met and he had rented a townhouse in front of the Plaza Tenis. And he had hired architects to do the townhouse and had done a bunch of stuff, but really didn't know how to connect a phone or <laughs> order bed linens or call 1-800-MATTRESS or do any of the practical things that you know how to do in life because he had never done them. Right. So as one does when one's grandmother asks, I was put to the task of helping Munu do all of those super fun things. <laughs> how, how old was Sadat when you first met him? Sadat had to be 17. maybe 17. Yeah. Maybe 17. And he came. So after that summer where my grandmother basically made me be Munu's assistant for, <laughs> you know, a month. Moon said to me, you know, you seem to have a pretty good eye. Do you want to come to India? And I said, mm, I'm not sure. And my grandmother said, but you must go if he invited you. Obviously. So, obviously, not to be rude, I had to go to India. And I asked one of my best friends, we should go because I didn't want to go alone. <laughs> <laughs> so off to India we went. When I got to India... We took this plane and I arrived at Old Delhi Airport and Old Delhi Airport was what I pictured Afghanistan to look like. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, you know, we arrived at three in the morning. Yeah. It was empty. Then we got in a car to drive to Jaipur where everything says, please honk. And you're driving, you know, you're playing chicken. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've done oh, that. Yeah. yeah. I was, I've never been so scared in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm from Mexico. I mean, and then we arrived. You know, I thought I was going to arrive to, you know, a Four Seasons. And we arrived at Narayniwas. You, you've been <laughs> yeah, to Narayniwas. Yeah, yeah. Where it was pitch black. And a guy came out with a flashlight. And then I I said, well, we're, we're here. And he, he didn't know who we were. So it took him like 10 minutes. And then he took us upstairs. And we arrived to this room with, you know, no AC. Nothing. There was nothing in the room. And then when I got to the bathroom, I found some some buckets. And he said, this is how you shower. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> and I started crying. <laughs> Jana. <laughs> <laughs> my friend and I started crying. And I said, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> and then the next morning... I mean, you went to the gym palace and met Munu and Sadat was there as and, well. And the next morning, of course, Munu said, isn't that the most charming place you've <laughs> ever seen? <laughs> and of course, I said, it, it, it is, Munu. Thank you so much. As one does. <laughs> and from the and first it moment. it totally grew on me. And then when I got to the gym palace, I, it's, 
it is the most rem- it, it was the most remarkable place I've ever seen. And he and he made me start separating stones and and, you know, and then that and he was totally grew on me. And that's where we opened the first hot pink for the first time. Yeah. So I got to do that. And I was supposed to be there for, you know, six days. And I stayed, I think, a month and a half <laughs> and fell in love with India and with Munu and with the Gem Palace and. And the rest is history. Tell me a little bit, a bit about Manu and what sort of special just alien he was. I mean, he was from another planet, I think. I think I've never seen somebody so just innately talented in my life. He could just sit and draw, you know, 30 pairs of earrings in five minutes. And also the bond that he had with his craftsmen. Yeah was something so extraordinary that the way he pushed them to just create things that nobody had ever seen, that nobody had ever thought of, you know, the, the, the colors, the cutting of the stone, the, you know, the wasting of, you know, 50 carats of something to get a certain shape, to go to a palace with him and to get, you know, the shape of a drop that was hanging from a chandelier to just, the amount of ideas yeah. coming out of his brain. And I think from coming from such a long history of um, a tradition, it's rare to have somebody step out of the tradition as much as he did and, and bring new things in. I mean, he completely changed the trajectory of Indian jewelry, I think. Don't, don't you believe that? 100%. Yeah. And to sit and watch was such a privilege. I yeah. mean, really. And I think what was the most special thing is the way he treated people. You know, he really didn't care if you were going to come in and spend $5 million or you were just going to sit there and watch him. He he was so pleased that you cared yeah. and that you were fascinated by the jewelry. Yeah. And I think that was a gift. Sadat, tell me about the pressure, <laughs> the pressure of, no. uh, of that legacy. Because when I first met you, I think you were probably 18 or 19 years old also. You were young. And I met you in the gym palace. And um, I remember thinking then, wow, this is a big life to be stepping into. Um, and this yeah. was, you know, when your dad was still here, your dad has since died and it must be even harder. But t- tell me about that. Well, pressure, what pressure in India? <laughs> we haven't heard of that. I'm just kidding. Obviously, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> there, were, there was these huge shoes to fill in um, growing up. Um, it was always like you're Munu Kasliwal's son, you're heir to the gym palace, you know, so no pressure. That's how <laughs> no, I none at all. the city. Well, was none there ever a minute where you thought, I don't think I can do this or I don't want to do this? Yeah, I uh, like every teenager, Yeah, you always feel that you're going to do something <laughs> better. So I, at that time, I just wanted to uh, document places and I wanted to be a travel photographer mm. but what actually changed was when I was just 17 the first time I met Jana was the trip to the Met the summer I was just 17 and I spent the entire summer with my father seeing the collection going through the beautiful galleries of the Met the joy in his eyes you know the spark anytime the idea would come he'd be like oh look at that column look at that pillar did you notice that he 
it was like i would say it was a god gift yeah like the way he could see things and it wasn't just it was jewelry in, it was everything no everything yeah. everything inspired him the colors like he he could see through a stained glass and he would be like those colors would be amazing for enamel you know so anything and everything inspired him yeah. he was so full of life and it was difficult to be you know sad around him because not only he was my father but he was also one of my best friends mm. to hang out with because you know i i really didn't realize it from a very young age he started uh taking me to his trips to brazil paris new york but it was really the first time when i saw him work and we we walked a gazillion hours at the med before he created the collection is what really got me hooked on to it and i understood the the family legacy and what it is about but it was purely because it was a true joy to see him work and to be so passionate about everything he did and and we're talking about the creative part i think tell me also what you learned about him from uh, the business side i mean when did that connect for you see when you're very young you you know you often don't tend to value things because you're <laughs> like okay this you take a lot of things for granted and that it and that it was given one of the beautiful things that i discovered at a very young age rightly like jana had mentioned was his connection with our craftsmen mm. and the people who work for the gem palace mm. growing up i really did not know who works for us because he treated them all like family members <laughs> honestly i had no idea that okay this guy works for me i had no clue i because even some of the workers i would call them uncle you know in hindi to to address them that's how amazingly he he treated everyone and i saw the equal love honest and integrity in these people and this is what i think so makes um him and gem palace a unique place and just to bring you a small um example after unfortunately he had passed away one of the person who had worked for us for like many years and he was very old he he had told me an ex, uh, a wonderful story he said you know what was the most unique and precious thing about munnu ji everybody called him munnu ji which was <laughs> a sign of respect he was like i've had the privilege of standing in the same room with the head of state the ambassador to that country munnu ji myself and the guy who serves you tea all of them were spoken in the similar tone and manner right and this is truly a incredible quality a human being can have when you don't differentiate in people at what level they are yeah so that was something so not only about his creative part but there were a lot of humanitarian values to be learned from him and that's why he was so loved yeah. and adored and and so missed Talk to me about that a little bit. You both talked about in the pre-interview how that was the most challenging time in your life and your career. Talk to me about when Munu died. It affected a lot of people. Uh I would say the whole city and the country and a lot of 
his admirers around the world everybody was in a state of shock but people who were closest to him like dana and i it affected us directly and had a huge impact on us because having him around was like having an iron man around you like a a, a shield <laughs> around you yeah. you know we felt so protected and so what really transformed it really helped us grow grow and you know grow much more mature and like uh grow serious about stuff we're like oh my god he's not around but all the time jana was and we were like munnu ji is watching us over he's still protecting us and that gave us the strength and the courage to keep going on and uh, in his honor but uh, one of the most beautiful things also he did that he spent a lot of time with jana and i and he was pretty patient in explaining it to us and you know he left us with this amazing treasure of his incredible drawings yeah so when the transformation happened the inspiration was not too far from us jana and i went endless hours through his sketches you know jana would come to india spend a month there it it was never easy it's still not easy but with his guidance and him watching us over we managed it i think him putting you and jana together was part of that i mean i i believe that yeah one of the one of the best gift he could give me a sister <laughs> i never had <laughs> yeah i think for me it's still really hard i miss him a lot Tell you talk to me Sadat a little bit about um the history of Indian Indian jewelry and and the hallmarks of Indian jewelry sort of the difference between the big European houses and sort of what they create and what what the Gem Palace creates and why See the history of Indian jewelry it goes back as old as its civilization because you know India has always been about adornment and india is one of the oldest and the richest history when it comes to jewelry because it was a very rich country in terms of all the minerals and uh, all the natural resources found there as you would know india was the first place to where they found the diamond mine and it was the, the first diamond mine the golconda mine the golconda diamond mine oh yes i i mean and your your dad told me about it and jana has told me about it but I, that was the first time i heard about it and for him to explain it and yeah. it's it's the most incredible thing in the world we talk about it a little bit it's in hyderabad yes so yeah. it, or was the golconda mines are in the deccan plateau region in hyderabad it it's one of those diamond mines which produced golconda it was called golconda diamond mine and and the nizam of hyderabad mm -hmm. who owned those mines for many many decades he was the richest man in the world and he was diamond like crazy because of those mines because right. of those right. mines and his wealth was so vast that it said that it could cover a lot more countries than 
you know yeah then most of europe he had that much of uh, wealth uh, just because of those golconda diamond mines jana will you talk about what those diamonds look like the golconda diamonds because they look different and will you explain why the only way to really describe them is like they have water in them mm. when you see them you know them right away <laughs> the the cut i mean sid and i the only way we we can when we tell people it's they don't look mechanical at all they look and you can test for them you can you know volcanoes come from that mine and you can test for them and they're very rare we we're lucky to have come across you know many of them because they're in most of the old jewelry that were made for the maharajas which jampalas made and which sometimes is sold back to us the diamonds in that for mm. Golcondas. The mines are exhausted and so you can only yes. find them in old pieces, old jewelry. Yes. Yeah. And my father yeah. used to rightly call them uh the candlelight yeah. diamonds <laughs> because you know they magically illuminated and it's still incredible if 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 you look at them they sparkle the most in minimum light however as compared to the newer diamonds they become dead yeah. when you So candlelight diamonds was the name he gave to Golconda diamonds. <laughs> and did he have other stones that he loved? I know he loved spinels. And we yes. explain we talk I don't think m- most people know what spinels are. I love spinels. I have one that you gave me. <laughs> yes. So spinels have an uh, have an amazing history. Spinels were uh, these stone which for the longest time were confused as rubies mm-hmm. because they were they were found in this similar mines near uh, in burma mm. modern day myanmar they had this incredible red luster to it that for the longest time they were confused as rubies even in today's time the black princess ruby in the english crown jewel they thought it was ruby but it was only until 1930s they figured it out it was a spinel yeah so spinel is a is a stone which can be found in all shades from uh blue to red mm-hmm. uh you do get some beautiful pink spinels which were called balis rubies because of the light color they thought it's light pink rubies but they turned out to be spinels uh unfortunately a lot of people in america don't know about it but my father has an incredible collection and every time he would just keep collecting old spinels and keep cutting them i'm like what are you doing this is like one day son you're going to thank me because they're <laughs> going to be the new diamonds yeah oh yeah cuz they're, they're that rare that. way yeah. we're more so, rare yeah jana what would you say makes monu's jewelry look different from other indian jewelry or other jewelry altogether i think there are a lot of things i think that it starts with the people that make them i think you really feel the soul of the person I think when you pick up a piece of that jewelry you can you can tell. Yeah. I mean there's something very magical about from the way the stones are cut to the way the gold is made and set to the design to I just think that it's jewelry that has a soul. And I mean when you look at the the breadth of it, you know, you can get an Indo-Russian piece or a piece with a spinel or a piece and every single piece is unique and every single piece you know comes from 
somewhere special. And if you ever get the opportunity, which you have to go see how it's made, you really understand. Yeah. It, it changed everything for me and really everything. Can, can we talk about the, 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 the Baroque pearl and diamond collar necklace that's in our catalog, that incredible collar? So like how beautiful. many people touch that? Like, you know, how much time does it take to make something like that? One of the most beautiful thing about Indian jewelry is that, the, you know, it doesn't use that many hands because it's done by very few craftsmen. Mm-hmm, right. And because there's something called difference of hand. Right. You can make it out that two different people did the enamel. So traditionally, a piece like that would have two or max three people working on it. So you can imagine the number of, you know, hours of hours. labor of love mm-hmm. that it takes. But the Baruch one, if you'll see, so it it comes in various processes. So there would be a goldsmith who would make the mold of the necklace. Mm-hmm. Then there's an enameler who is who All specializes. By hand. The mold is it's, made completely freeform by hand. There is no, there are no computers so. used. There is no CAD design. None of that. <laughs> the the latest three D printing. No, <laughs> none of that is used. So it's all hand done. So there would be a goldsmith. That's how you start with it. It's 23 karat gold. We wow. call it like 22 for, mm. um, but it's it's purer than 22. It's that soft. That's yeah. why it's so malleable. And they don't have to use any machinery. They just use regular tools, what they used to use centuries ago. And then comes the enamler. So before you set the stone, the, the enamel person hand paints it and then puts it in a burning furnace for the colors to get permanent. Once that's done, the base is made and comes the Kundan technique, which is only in India and now only exists in Rajasthan, Hmm. which is the gold leaf setting. The pure form of gold is encrusted around the stone to hold the stone. So if you look at the Indian, most of our jewelry, you you won't see any prongs. Right. You don't see those prongs holding the stone. It's the metal holding it. So there's so much of gold encrusted, you know, filled around the gaps that that gold holds the stone. And that is what it's called the Kundan technique. And it's it can only be done in the purest form of gold. And Sadat, talk to me a little bit about the Indian concept of the wearer's pleasure and sort of what touches your body should be as beautiful as what you show the world. There was this Indian concept that it's not only what the eyes can see, but the body sees and feels as well. Mm-hmm. That your your skin and and your soul could see what's behind it. So most of the pieces which were worked, they, they were most of the time were more beautiful on the reverse than the front Mm -hmm. and this little thing little attention to detail was a huge thing for the Maharajas and the jewelry connoisseurs that the attention to detail of the things that you can't see was so important to the Indian concept and then my father took it to another level when he started with the 
indo russian collection and instead of uh using enamel he came up with this amazing gold lace filigree work mm-hmm. and he said diamonds inside the filigree mm-hmm. so that was his thing that didn't exist in india so that was something munnu my dad started and it's just the antithesis of the world we live in now you know <laughs> it's just it's it's the private pleasure and and that kind of secret um beauty that you keep for yourself it's so so rare yeah just for you yeah. it's just for you and i think people now everything is kind of cutting corners and faster and yeah you know how to make everything faster cheaper yeah and, and we're the opposite of that mm-hmm. you know when and my father ask us, well how long is that going to take and we say you know 3 or 4 months they're like what <laughs> and you know that's at least 3 or 4 months because it's going to somebody has to actually make it right and it's coming from across the world and it's special and and people are so used to instant gratification now that it's it's difficult to understand that some of yeah, our my, pieces take 2 years 2 years to make yeah. but that's exactly what my dad had, had said with the he told me sadat with the right amount of patience and passion some incredibly beautiful things can be created, created. <laughs> so he always believed in that patience and passion and that's what makes his jewelry pieces so special and and different than different. the other because you can see the labor of love put into it absolutely so what are you both excited about to create with this next generation of the business everyone was so surprised by monu's death how do you see the business evolving and what's what are the next steps i mean we designed so much i get up so early so we can work Well, talk to me a little bit about your part, so, your partnership actually before we go into this about I mean what does that mean to you and I mean how has that worked Well I would say I mean my dad had already said the path for us <laughs> you know uh we we love each other we have a beautiful relationship Jana wants to kill me most of the time <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um no it's it's an it's an incredibly beautiful working relationship mm-hmm. we each come with our own talents um you know it's 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 very interesting uh jana's amazing idea she's she's very observant she's very up to needless to say you know she's our fashionista queen she has the so, best taste of anybody i know yeah and and what she wears becomes a trend yes So so you know it's it's it, it's fun to work and uh I I I as much time as I would like to spend with her in in the states but somebody needs to you know keep keep the ship sailing in India and this is where all our jewelry is produced so I come back here so like she said we try to do as much we can in the current scenario because she is not, she has been unable to come to India uh to do but it, pre covid we would always come up with a collection of seven pieces mm-hmm. every year right jana I mean, we're always designing but just seven pretty big pieces for our clients which yeah. you know they've always done incredible 
we've gone through a lot together. And I think, you know, Sid is more than a brother to me. My kids adore him. My husband, you know, I did not have four children because there he is. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the godfather of your children, I think, right? I mean, he's more than their godfather. Sadaji. I mean, it's, it's pretty. And he's, he's, you know, he's the brother to my sisters. He's, yeah. you know, he's our family. And I feel very lucky to have him. And we, we make beautiful things. We have so much fun together. But, you know, I think our partnership and our friendship is really beyond that. Which is amazing. I think Munu really left us together for a reason which is incredible he had a grand plan don't you think yeah i do we ask all of our guests uh what they wore to the prom and now i'm wondering i don't think you had a prom in mexico or Texas. <laughs> Wait, well, ta- no prom for you, Jenna. And Sadat, you had. I went to an all bo- all male boarding school. <laughs> I definitely didn't go to a prom. Okay, well, let's talk about Jana. You had a couple wedding ceremonies. Let's talk about your favorite thing you wore to your weddings. <laughs> so, I think by far my favorite thing I wore to my weddings uh, was. The Rohit Ball Indian gown. Me too. It was the prettiest thing I've ever seen Langa. in my life. It was unbelievable. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was really, I still wish I could just prance around in it. You could. From time to time. <laughs> I could. The wedding skirt was 20 meters of silk with um, hand stamped gold leaf lotuses but it was the most incredible thing to wear and it didn't feel heavy at all you look like a dream and Sadat no prom for you but um do you have a favorite piece of jewelry it's like asking you to pick out your favorite babies (laughs) you know yeah so but there are pieces which are uh very important to me I would say a turban a wedding turban pin that my father made me. Mm. We'll await for the day when I actually wear it. <laughs> but since he since he made it for me with so much of love and passion, I, I really keep it in my own private collection. And so, it transforms into a necklace for his future wife. Ooh. Yep. I love that. It's got these beautiful Colombian emeralds mm-hmm. with rose cuts and the similar work at the back with uh, pearls uh, flung around, which is incredible when you wear it on a turban. And uh, you also put an egret feather on it. Oh, oh my God. I can't wait to come to So India. Rajasthan is one of the <laughs> only places where grooms still wear so much jewelry. Because now in the rest part of India, people wear Western suits. Mm. But Rajasthan, the tradition is still on that men wear pretty much enough jewelry for their wedding as (laughs) as the bride. So there is some sort of limelight towards the groom as well. It's not only (laughs) for the bride in here. I love it. (laughs) 
Thank you all so much. Thank you. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.